listening to the Uloft Podcast, presented by United IUP, a community of college students and young adults in Indiana, Pennsylvania, who are dedicated to unite with each other and Christ to change the world around us. We hope that this podcast raises questions and answers others, while ultimately starting a conversation to discover unifying biblical truth in this chaotic world. Could you always get... push the record button because yeah. you never know what you're going to find. I know. We just missed it. Man, it was a knee touching. That's comedy gold. <laughs> We're talking about knee touching tonight at United, actually, this whole month. Yeah. Yeah, Song of Solomon. Wow. This, only, <laughs> touching. this only took... This is, that the, is that the name of the sermon series now? <laughs> touching you know, knees. I really, we should just change it. Yeah. yeah. Knee this, touching. This That's only... like the... So the Sweet Caroline song. What if that was a pickup line? would need to i mean it probably this day and age it probably is (laughs) this only took about 12 seconds to get really weird well so the like sweet caroline (laughs) song that like every white person ever loves um not me except for kendall uh has like very peculiar like lines in and it's like hands reaching out touching me touching you and it's like oh i don't that didn't age well. And everybody <laughs> at Fenway Park sings it. Every way, everyone at In the every... Uh, so I was at a wedding recently, and it was a pit grad, and they kicked everybody off the dance floor unless they went to pit. And they were like, we're going to play the pit favorite song ever. And then they played Sweet Caroline. Oh, I was like, you can't claim that. No. Like, everybody does why, that. Why is that Go to so... any college football game, and they will play that song. Why is that so popular at college sports? Like, that particular I don't know. song. Because it's easy it to get a... everybody in. It's like, yeah, it's bum, like the bum, wave. Bum. Yeah, I yeah. think that's the biggest part of it, right? Like, if you don't know the words, it's just the... Yeah, you know bum, that part. Bum, bum. Yeah. Well, crowd participation. Can... Speaking yeah. of Which, mass speaking formation of psychosis. crowd participation... <laughs> We have a great podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we do. Okay, so I, my name is Michael Vaughn. Welcome to the ULOF podcast. I'm sitting here with Kendall Kersey and Caleb Fugate. What's up? Caleb, hey. it's good to have you back. Yeah, it's good to be back. Okay. I was so, on hiatus for a hot minute. The highest of atus. Yes, yeah. indeed. Didn't like that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> All right. Uh, I want to uh, start off by... For the record, I've had about five hours of sleep per night for the past week, so that's low for me. Yeah, nice. (laughs) This will be interesting. Yeah. I want to start off by opening a discussion about musical worship. Now, these discussions, I think, are important because I believe that we are living in a golden age of musical worship. When I say golden age, I mean strictly with regards to the amount of attention it gets. Worship music gets far more traffic online than even the most popular sermons, and it's not close. On the surface, this golden age, or this this appears like a good thing, and I think maybe it is. To um, be fair, they aren't listening to my sermons, that's why. <laughs> totally. It would be a lot closer. <laughs> wow. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Caleb's going to flip it. The Facebook traffic <laughs> at my little country church is going gonna to have millions of yeah. people, and it's like, what happened? <laughs> All those 80-year-olds really yeah. know how to <laughs> Who knows? Google search. Um, okay, so I Sorry. think, like, on the surface, this seems like it might be a good thing, uh, but when you couple this golden age with the reality of biblical illiteracy, starts to get a little bit troubling. Now, I don't think that biblical illiteracy is a new pro- is a new problem, um, but I do think that it's been made worse. Okay, so actually I don't know what to think about this, but I'm going to I'm going what I'm going to do is I'm going to put forward a proposition. Okay. I have something of a thought, but I want to talk it out and figure out whether or not we're going to get anywhere with it. Um, there's a claim that 
biblical illiteracy has gotten worse since the Second Great Awakening and the rise of the more emotional evangelicalism in the early 19th century. Mm -hmm. Um, The author of the book, of the work, Religious Literacy, What Every American Needs to Know and Doesn't Know, or in doesn't is how the title goes, but what he means is in doesn't know, Stephen Prothero, um, he he says... I know that name. He says, early Americans didn't just know Jesus. They knew the Sermon on the Mount and often by heart. They believed, as the Reverend John Lathrop of Boston's Second Church wrote, that the connection between knowledge and faith is such that the latter cannot exist without the former. And they were convinced, as historian David Paul Nord put it, that genuine religion was not about miracles, enthusiasm, direct revelation, human will, or even uninformed faith. It was about knowledge, learning, and reading the word. Okay, so the question is, how might Bible study, Bible study, servant leadership, and self-sacrificial love change your experience of musical worship? Do you think that we have a tendency to relegate these practices to the clergy? And if so, why? So Mm. there's a lot of questions in here, and we can go through them again if we need to. Um, The claim here is not to limit or restrain musical worship. I don't think that we should try to like squash the fact that so many people are listening to Christian worship music. I think that that's probably a good source of momentum if we're able to, to deal with it properly. Um, I I think we should add to it though, the sometimes overlooked and less experiential elements of an intimate relationship with God. And the three that I could really kind of pinpoint are Bible study, servant leadership, and self-sacrificial love, because really none of those things get you on like a cathartic high right <laughs> and so w- w- what do you think about all of that well so part of me wonders how many and this is just another question to throw in the pot um how many people would consider themselves christians because for no other reason other than they listen to hillsong elevation bethel those types of things they're like i listen to this all the time i must be right i don't know like might not be high. It might be very high. I'm unsure to be able to make a claim on that. But part of, I mean, in th- it's in the same vein of questions that you're asking. Like, are people assuming that they belong to this faith because they have had some sort of emotionally cathartic experiential moment? Anecdotally, I think it's probably very high. I think there are a lot of Christians who the extent of their relationship with God is their interaction with worship music, which might be why it's so popular. popular. It's like, I got the tingly, so that must have been the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, well, maybe. Like, Like, I want to, you know, this this feels, this can feel like beating a dead horse sometimes, because we may have even talked about this topic on this podcast before, and certainly other leaders are talking about this issue. But this is a big issue. Yeah, Um, so we definitely have talked about this uh, issue on this podcast, I think two or three times, actually. Um, Because it's important. Because it is very important. And uh, speaking as the resident Pentecostal charismatic worship pastor uh, (laughs) on this end, like you two guys are going to be way more on the the side of knowledge and reading and tradition tradition and like all of that. And I actually grew up in more of the... uh, in the faith in like emotional charisma and Pentecostalism. And so like I've, but I'm, I'm trying to um, straddle the line properly. And I've, I've seen where just ultra Pentecostalism takes you. 
um, to where it is all about the feels and the Holy Ghost goosebumps and the crying and the snot bubbles. And like, if camp didn't end in that, then you <laughs> messed up like real bad. Um, but so, uh, so a couple of, of quite a couple of answers to your a hundred questions. Um, thank you. But yours, I don't think we can answer. So um, <laughs> on the uh, question of does biblical knowledge and servant leadership and what was the third self-sacrificial, piece, love. self-sacrificial love, how does that inform um, our worship? Well, actually that is a part of worship. Like it doesn't inform our worship. That is a part of worship. In fact, that probably I think, is the bulk of worship. Yes, that is the bulk of worship. What has happened with the... Um, with the musical worship movement, I guess, um, would be that we've put all of our eggs in that basket, in the music and in the emotions. But um, that's only a piece of worship. That's only a part of worship. Now, we can actually uh, self-sacrifice in the middle of singing. There's a lot of dudes uh, out there that are like gonna cross their arms and be like, I'm not singing a song, that's that's for chicks. Like, I'm not doing that stuff. Um, <laughs> but you've got to self-sacrifice because the Bible, uh, Bible knowledge here, the Bible does say that we should be um, encouraging one another yeah. with singing, yeah. uh, with psalms and spiritual songs. And so like, that is something that if you're not doing, then you're not worshiping. Uh, if you're just sitting there and listening and thinking, um, then you're really not you're really not covering that basis. So what I would say is that biblical knowledge, self-sacrifice and servant leadership is the bulk of laying our lives down for um, worship that that is spirit and in truth is what Jesus says in John. And that is, um, that is what Romans says is that uh, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. Like that is what worship actually looks like. A part of that is music but most of that is the biblical knowledge. Now, how does it actually inform? Now let's get to that. So that's our foundation. The How does it inform? I, I connect with specific and connect, I hate that word, but it's true. I connect with certain songs or I can worship with certain songs better when I understand where they're coming from in the Bible. There's something that we do at oh, yeah. at uh, at Summit that um, I'm trying to train other worship leaders to do, and it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. But we have a, a one minute, specifically one minute host moment between the first song and the second song. And the goal of that moment is not just to welcome people and be like, "Isn't it such a beautiful day?" and all that. No, the goal of that moment is actually to connect the song selections to the scriptures and to remind people of this is the word that we're singing. And this is the reason why we're singing these words is because here in this particular scripture, it says this. And so here's the context and the background for this particular uh, song. Now, sometimes that's really hard to do in a minute, but the reason we do it again is to give that foundation and that spiritual context of, this is not just a pretty song. This is not just a cool melody. This is not just something with cool drums in it. This is, something from the word of God. And this is the reason we're singing on that same note. There's some songs that I really, really like that I'm not going to sing in worship Mm -hmm. because I'm like, nah, I don't know. In fact, last Tuesday, we did a bunch of songs. Um, If you were at our first Unite for the 2022 fall year, fall semester, we did a bunch of songs that were not worship songs. I think we had two worship songs. Yeah, we had two like quote unquote worship songs. And even (laughs) one of those is So Will I. And I really, 
it's difficult wouldn't sing to, that yeah. song in a large congregation because I've got to give that song context and I've right. got to explain it and I've got to tell you what this actually means. And then some people are like, evolution, that doesn't make any sense <laughs> in worship music. So like there's there's a whole, uh, like that song's convoluted even of itself. Um, there's another song called "You Are" or I Am Good, You Say I'm Good. Like it's called Fountain. And that has to have like a bunch of context to it right. and a bunch of unraveling of what the context of the song is or else it doesn't make sense or it makes people mad. So like there are a bunch of songs that I wouldn't normally do in congregational worship because uh, you have to have a ton of biblical knowledge to do them, number one, and to appreciate them the proper way. Because if they if you don't have the proper knowledge and the proper biblical foundation, you might take that and run with it the wrong way. Right. For oh, instance, yeah. that song that says, I am good, you say I'm good. I'm worthy, I am chosen, loved by you. I think is is I'm missing one lyric in there. All of that is technically true through Jesus Christ. Right. But in that song, it doesn't really say anything about giving our lives up to right. Jesus and confessing him as Lord and Savior. So someone could possibly hear that song and sing that song good. and be like, I'm good. You say I'm good. Right. I'm chosen. I'm worthy. I'm loved by you. Who cares? I'm I don't need gonna, to do anything. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and you know, keep running around, having sex with everybody and partying and yeah. being selfish and being prideful. And guess what? I don't have to worry about a thing because I'm worthy. I'm loved and I'm chosen by you. So I, for the record, I love that song musically. I love that song even theologically but it has to have a lot right, of context right. behind it or else people will take it the wrong way. And I would say that is where we are at now. So there's a long form answer of where we are at now is because we don't have the biblical um, knowledge and the self-sacrifice and the servant leadership as a foundation, we take certain songs that make us feel good and we base all of our theology and all of our doctrine off of that. Yeah. And that is super, super dangerous. Yeah. Well, and so this isn't, and this is not a, a bash at any one church. So I, I have two little country churches, and they operate very differently than what Summit does on a Sunday. And Summit has, is a great church. Its worship is great. Its Sunday services, Saturday night services are great. In fact, I come to the Saturday night service to worship, right? Um, so clearly there's value and merit that I find in it, and there's a, a, a moment of experience with God that I can find here because it's the body of Christ, right? Presumably that's what we're, we're shooting for. But my little churches have very different Sunday services. So I've got like mm, 10 kids in a youth group at my church, which is pretty shocking for, you know, a church of 30 people. It's pretty good. Um, and I don't think a single one of them could tell you any contemporary worship songs. Not a single one. Hmm, that's interesting. But they could tell you the entire Apostles' Creed. Ah. And they could sing to you the Gloria Patri, which if you're listening, you probably don't even know what the Gloria Patri is. And they could sing to you. I don't even know what that is. Glory be to the Father <laughs> and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost as it was in the beginning. What a beginning, treat. <laughs> now oh and ever. Anyway, it's a song that, that talks about, like it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a short, um, it's not, I mean, it is a song, but it's like a, a short segment to just kind of reaffirm one, the Trinity, but two, the the power of God on display, right? Uh, and we are not that, right? So it's the glory be to the Father, right? Um, and we do the, uh, oh, shoot, what's the, the 
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. I forget the, the doxology. name of it. Doxology, thank you. I know that one. Yeah, you know that one. Not many people. <laughs> they could tell you all of those, right? They could sing them. They know them. And and this was something that you had brought up earlier. So in, in Reformed theology in particular, because they're kind of the ones that we're like, yeah, those people, they're the like head knowledge kind of folks. Um, in the Presbyterian churches and the nine million forms that they find themselves right now, um, they have something called the Westminster Confession Catechism, right? And it is 101 statements or 110. It's 100 and some statements of everything that is true, right? About scripture, about the word, about theology, about worship, about the church. It is, these are what you have to believe to be part of this, right? And for a lot of history of the Presbyterian church up until probably in the last 50 years, people knew the confessions, right? They knew what they were. They they had those as kind of like, this is how I understand my life, right? Um, and uh, music and the, the music of worship was not as much of a concern about them, right? Uh, or for them, not about them, for them, um, because they had other things that were kind of filling their minds and prioritizing what worship looked for them. Worship for them was like... Um, a, a deep knowledge and faith in this word, right? And and I mean, this is what you were saying. Like we have so narrow, narrowly described and prescribed what worship is that we have missed what worship is, right? And that's the danger. It is not just music. So in in the Methodist Church, and this is in most kind of traditional. So Methodists, we get it from the Anglican Church because that's where our history. The Anglican Church kind of gets it from the Catholic Church. So it's, you know, you could trace yourselves back. But most traditionalist churches follow like roughly the same pattern. You will have a call to worship. You might have a prelude. You'll have a call to worship. You will have a prayer. You might have a hymn. Then you'll have a congregational prayer. Then you'll have a reading of scripture. For the record, the call to worship is typically like a call and response of the <clears throat> Psalms. So like I did Psalm 39, I think it was this past week, and I read a line of the Psalms and my congregation read a line. Then I read a line. And we do that for about six or seven verses, right? Then I pray, and then we have a hymn, and then we do a congregational prayer that's written out, and everybody reads that together. And then we have the uh, Apostles' Creed, the Gloria Patri. I read um, either a New Testament gospel or Old Testament reading, whatever my sermon is not. Um, and then we'll do like a prayer request time, and then another hymn, and then I will read something from the scriptures that wasn't the previous one and I will preach on that and then we'll have another hymn right and the the reason that it's structured this way is because it's actually and I I stole this I think it actually was from Bishop we we're talking about Bishop Barron earlier yeah uh, I think he talks about this but this isn't his idea this is kind of general large Christian idea is that it mirrors actually like Jesus's ministry so the reason we don't come in with a bang so to speak um is because Jesus came into the world meek and mild in the silent of night. It's like it, it doesn't come off with a bang. And then early on, we see him teaching the scriptures in the temple, right? And so there would have been a back and forth between him and the, the Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders when he's 12, right? Back and forth, because they have that, hence the call to worship, right? Um, and then the first parts of his ministry, he does a lot of praying and teaching, right? And then um, he's glorified, right? And if we had mass every week, which we do not, but 
uh, in the Catholic Church they do if we did communion every week. Like that's the moment that that celebrates the end of Jesus's life, right? When he is um, uh, crucified, the, the body broken, bloodshed, right? That's what the mass is about. Um, and then after that, right, we have the sending forth, um, which usually has a benediction, which is the very end of the gospels where Jesus says, go into all the world, uh, baptizing people and making disciples, right? So the, the service itself is a mirror of what Jesus's ministry looks like, right? And our, our worship, as we're as people who are trying to emulate Jesus, the whole service is an emulation of Jesus, mm-hmm. not just the music, right? So we don't get caught up in the music. That is a part of it. Um, but the reason that we do that, all of that, is to kind of simulate, so to speak, what God is up to, what Jesus was up to when he was here on earth. He, like, he read a lot of scripture. He did a lot of praying. He probably sang some songs. I don't think we have a record of Jesus singing songs. He Let's probably he, did, though. I'm sure. To, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> right? The Psalms. He probably sang the Psalms, I'm sure. Right? So we, we have all of these pieces that are, are brought together in the service. Um, and people, and the the funny thing is people who maybe come to my church for the first time who have no idea what the Apostles' Creed is or the Gloria Patri, because probably 99% of the people in America don't know what those are. Uh, you know what? I'm okay with them not knowing it. I'm okay with them not having the greatest picture of what's happening in front of them, right? Because I think we have come to a point in our culture where we assume we have to know everything immediately, right? I have to have all knowledge on a concept before I engage with it. And it's like, that that was never the case before. I think that has something to do with the internet, right? Where it's like, mm-hmm. you would expect normally for you to show up in a place that is unfamiliar, for them to do things that are unfamiliar to you and you not know what's going on. And that would, would have been okay. That's part of like joining anything yeah. or starting anything. And we have removed that. Um, and, and I don't think you guys do this as a church, but the, the like super seeker sensitive churches do this, where it's like they want to remove every obstacle in a person's way so that they know exactly what is happening all the time. And it's like, but if that's the case and you know everything you could possibly know the first moment you get there, what's the point in sticking around, right? What's the point in staying and growing and learning if there's nothing new so there's a, for you to learn or grow in? There's a particular phenomenon that you'll miss out on too if you do that, and it's it's this. So you have old church buildings too, like cathedrals and such that the the structure of the building itself is also sort of telling the story of the gospel. Yeah. 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 It's it's delivering. This is like trying to emulate the, the kingdom of heaven as best as we possibly can. So so you couple that with the service being structured in such a way that it's also delivering those elements. Um, what ends up happening is that the more you learn, the longer you're there, the more you learn, the more even the building itself speaks to you and the, and the process itself speaks to you. And so this is one of the reasons why, and we'll get to Shia LaBeouf uh, in a minute, but this is one of the reasons why he said that he can... That might be a name you haven't heard in a while. Well, guess what? We're bringing him up. Yeah. He's back, baby. (laughs) Um, This is why he said that he can enjoy and connect with and participate in a Latin mass, even though he doesn't know Latin. Yeah. Because it's, it's the the demonstration of right. the things that he does know happening right in front of him. And he's right. able to participate in, it, in that so way. So there is, there's a, I'm glad you brought up the secret sensitive churches because um, really this issue 
of just like knowing everything off the top or singing songs that are super easy to catch on to and right. they're maybe not very theologically deep. There's no depth to them. It, it all came around in the like early 90s-ish yeah, with seeker-sensitive yeah, seeker uh, churches. And I don't think that they were wrong. So like, I just think that they went all in a little yeah, too far, yeah, yeah. right? Like The idea of trying to connect with as many people and get them to know Jesus yeah. is, is what we are supposed to be about as Yes, Christians. because, I mean, we'll take, for instance, like I brought it up. Like last week we did a bunch of songs that weren't worship songs, but yep. we, also didn't dis we also didn't tell anybody what was happening Yeah, people from were probably very confused about what was going on. Yes. You know what? I'm okay with that. That was fine because we were actually telling a story. We didn't want people to sing along. We yeah. didn't want people to know what was going on. Even our own people, we didn't want them to know what was right. going on. Like people who go there all the time, we wanted them to be confused so that their cognitive uh, you functions know, would func turn on. Yeah, they would turn on and they would be like, okay, what is going on here? And it would make them think. With secret sensitive stuff, you're right. Like you want to take the thinking out of it essentially. And I've worked for some secret, very secret sensitive churches in the past and their, their, um, their method uh, on its foundation isn't wrong and it isn't yeah, bad because the reason why we use music to connect people and to open up the door is because music is universal. Right. So like music actually is something you, you brought up uh, what Mr. LaBeouf said. Um, and music is actually something that's universal that you don't have to understand that just speaks to you. Yeah. I mean, I've got three little kids and I've never taught them about anything with music um, except for just playing it in the house and, and being, you know, musical myself or singing or whatever. And they have always been drawn to it. Yeah. You, you know, you go around little kids, they want to dance, they want to clap, yeah. they want to sing. Um, and it's because music is intrinsic. Like that's something that has been put inside of us. Right, right. I mean, if we're made in the image of God, God sings over us, right? Yeah. Oh, so yeah. like music is something that is within us that opens up this door essentially for us to be able to receive, right. which is why um, worship wise, it is great. But if you like uh, on, on the uh, flip side of that, that's also why the culture is uh, so receptive to quote unquote, the culture's message is because yeah. music opens up doors in your heart right. and in your mind that you don't even know are being opened. Right. That lyrics are, are, um, they're permeating your your mind. They are permeating your heart, and you don't even know that's happening. And that happens within worship, and it happens within right. just regular old <clears throat> cultural music. And so um, <clears throat> that's that's the reason why secret sensitive people yeah. did it. I think that there is a great there can be and there should be a great balance Agreed. between the two. And yes, it is new, by the way. But um, a lot of the old hymns were written based off of bar tunes because people oh, would yeah, know them. Oh, yeah, because they connected to them. Yeah, because oh, people yeah. would know them. Oh, I know this tune. Yeah. Like, so it'd be like somebody writing a song to Sweet Caroline, right? Right, right, right. Like, oh, I know this. I can sing it, yep. you know? Um, and Sweet God of Mine, ba, 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 like, <laughs> you know, like something like that. Well, and then, you know. <laughs> I might be onto something here. Earlier, I was talking about how, like, you know, I was comparing my youth group, and it's like, <laughs> these kids don't know any contemporary worship songs, and it's like, and but they know all these other things, and it's like, they're... I say that because it's a good thing, but they are also missing out on something. So like I play the guitar and lead hymns at my churches. Um, and that's fine and it goes fine and I can play guitar and lead, or play the piano and lead a hymn, no problem. Um, but it's not the best, right, of comparatively. Like if you took 
the me on a guitar singing a hymn versus the summit worship band leading a song like one of them is just going to be objectively absolutely better right and it's me no i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> no it's like the summit worship band right that they are much more equipped to do that and my churches i mean this is the point where it's like you got to do with what you got you, you know you got to make do with what you have right and it's like we're making do with what we have but my churches do miss out on like a powerful worship experience. And we try to compensate by supplementing with other things because we don't have that. Um, but they do miss out on that, right? Like, so my kids probably know a bunch of hymns, but they don't always connect with them. And I can see it on their faces. And it's like, I wish we could do something different for you. Um, but in the meantime, you will need to learn that there are going to be some times in life where it's like, you won't always get everything you think you need to grow spiritually. And yeah. you will have to make supplement with other things, right? For the record, there are some really, really good elevation songs, especially that are super theologically rich. Yeah, that I think could be modern day hymns. Like "There Is a King" is. Oh a yeah, that's a beautiful song. one. Yeah, and like, and I so have done some of... songs where it's like, okay, where I'll I'll sing, and you guys just sit and like let this wash over you. That are kind of more contemporary mm -hmm. and kind of fit into a hymn, and they really love that moments those moments. Um, the problem with being in a little small church, especially considering we do like Facebook live of our services is um, we don't have a CCLI license because we're a tiny little church. So every song that we put anywhere has to be open source, uh, which most new songs are not. So it's like, we're stuck yeah. to a lot of hymns. Now, do I think anyone is going to go track down my churches and check <laughs> considering we have eight people watching? Probably not. But um, like we have to be careful about those things. And yeah. that's, you know, that's one of the things I understand why it exists, but one of the things that I dislike about our cult, like our worship culture, it's like as Christians, if we're producing music for the betterment of the church, it should be of free use to everybody because it is for the betterment of the church. And it's like, I understand why licensing, licensing exists, but in my opinion, Elevation Worship should never license any of their music. I don't think. For the record, know, I don't license any of my music. You know, this really. is why I like you, Kendall. <laughs> because you understand. <laughs> you get it. You, If you create, if God gives you a gift to create beautiful music, you should give it back to God. You shouldn't use it for some other purpose, right? And it should be of free use for other people. It's like, that's why God made musicians. It's like, so that they could benefit the church. And it's like, we'll benefit the church, but you have to pay for this license. It's like, well, that's not. Yeah, I think, well, actually, it's funny that you say that because one of the things that uh, Shia LaBeouf said on like the very beginning of his conversation with Bishop Barron. Um, <clears throat> which, which, if you're confused why we're talking about Shia LaBeouf, he made a movie recently about a Catholic priest in Italy um, during kind of like fascist Italy back in the 1920s. Mm -hmm. But anyway, it started a journey down towards Christianity. And yeah. Shia LaBeouf has come out and said like, I... I'm like Catholic now and I'm, I'm really kind of trying to live out this Christian. Yeah. Faith. And you can actually find this cool interview. interview. Yeah, yeah. You can find this interview on YouTube. I actually listened to it the whole thing this morning while I was working out and yeah. it was really, really interesting and enough that I don't generally do this, but I want to go back and listen. Cause he said some things that were like, Whoa, yeah. that was really good. Um, but one of the things that he says at the very beginning of this is he said, uh, speaking about Latin mass, he's like, I can really get into that a lot more than I can. And he said like the mass with the guitars and like, he started talking about like where he's from. And what I gathered there is he wasn't talking about Catholic mass with electric guitars. I think what he was talking about was specifically, um, 
evangelical yeah, church is probably church, yeah. yeah something like that and he's like i can get so much more into that and he said something that was pretty damning like to evangelical yeah. uh churches as he said they always it always seems like they're trying to sell me something yeah like a car and salesman. yeah like a car salesman and they're always trying to wrap it up in this pretty little thing and trying to make it look good and but there's you know, always a catch but there's always a catch and he said and i don't feel that way with latin mass and like when he said that, I was like, crap. Yeah. <laughs> like, dang. Yeah. Like, and so I had to think about, actually, in fact, I texted you. I texted Michael a couple of days ago before we had decided we were going to talk about this. Yeah. And um, I was listening to, to the snippet that you, that Caleb had sent me. Um, and in that snippet, he says that. And I think I texted Michael that next day or the, the night of, and I said, dude, if I ever, if you ever see me become one of these cheesy, cool pastors, that's just trying to be like way over the top yeah. salesman guy, like knock me down, please. Because that is one thing I cannot stand. Right. But his his uh, his conversation there made me like, his statement there made me think, okay, like what do we do that we are selling the gospel right, right. essentially? Like what are we doing that, that requires a catch or yeah. that makes people feel that way. Cause he can't be the only person who right. feels that way. Well, Other people feel that way. And for some like theological context around this and biblical context around this, you might be thinking, well, aren't we supposed to be kind of like, isn't that the evangelical impulse to sell the gospel to people? Um, and I don't think that's quite right. And I think actually, despite the fact that he's kind of new into this Christianity thing, and this is, this is why it's, we shouldn't like get all of our thinking from new converts to Christianity, but they bring something really powerful is that they have the deepest connection to the rest of society and they're and they're bringing something new into the church. And we should listen to them to some degree to say like, this is, this is what's going on. And this is how, what you are doing is perceived out. Yeah, of this the is world. how people think about it. Cause you, I was yeah. just out there. Right. So that's really important yeah. to pay attention to. And I think that's why Shia LaBeouf's statements are really powerful mm -hmm. in that. Um, but if you look at scripture, Jesus is not, a car salesman in the least bit. I, uh, the scripture that I was using this past week was from, I think it was Luke 14, 25 through something. And the start of it was like, if you want to follow me, you must hate your mother and father, yeah. brother, sister, you must carry your cross and then you can be my disciple. But if not, you out, right? And then yeah. at the end of it, he says, let those who have ears, let them hear, right? And he says that phrase a lot throughout the scriptures and he tells parables which 90 percent of the people there are like i don't understand what this means like jesus is okay with people not understanding what is going on around them he doesn't seem even to his be disciples. concerned yeah he doesn't <laughs> seem concerned about the fact that other people aren't necessarily getting it mm -hmm. right let those who have ears let them hear but for the rest of you this ain't for you didn't he right? actually get frustrated with his disciples for asking yeah, because they many didn't times. get it like, how many times I got to tell you yeah, people? Yeah, <laughs> exactly, right? So he's he's like the exact opposite of a salesman. You use your one minute moment to do something like that. Yeah. Because <laughs> salesmen want you, you to wicked know. wicked generation, how yeah. much longer should I put up with you? <laughs> he's not very f kind to his uh, disciples all the time, so it seems. They're also kind of dumb, which, you know, me too, so yeah. I get lumped into that. But if you look at Jesus, he's like, salesmen, they want to tell you every good thing about their product, right? Because they want you to buy it. And Jesus is like, nah, we ain't doing that. Let me tell you every bad thing about this product, so to speak, right? And why it doesn't go so great. Um, but there's a reward that you won't know or see, and you just got to trust is out there if you follow me, right? There's a blessing out there if you follow me, but you don't know it, right? You just have to have faith. And that's the kicker. So Christianity and most religions are very odd because 
people on the outside will have no idea what's going on until they get on the inside. But they're not going to get on the inside. It's like a catch-22, but they're not going to get on the inside because they can't see what's going on from the outside. And that's where faith is so important because it. this is why I know that it's a gift from God because no one would normally say, oh, Christianity seems like a good thing because it doesn't make sense. Um, Dietrich Pondhofer, who um, is a pretty well-known kind of church priest, uh, he was alive during World War II and he kind of um, tried to work against Nazi Germany from the underground as a church. Um, and he ended up actually being executed. But when he was in the university, um, this is how you know our educational system has been on the decline. I'm just kidding. Uh, but so <laughs> back at that point in time, to get a PhD, you actually had to write two dissertations. And so he wrote two books. Um, I don't remember the first one, but the other one was called Act in Being. And his whole point was, you won't know or understand Christianity until you get in it, but you're not going to get in it until you know anything about it, right? And so it's this catch-22 that the key to making that jump is God-given faith, right? Because you won't make that jump normally. It, the Christ, What we do as Christians doesn't make sense to the outside world, so you will never, in fact, you will probably just make fun of it. And you won't never make that jump into it, and you won't ever understand it until you get into LaBeouf it. LaBeouf even said that. Yeah, yeah, in his, yeah. yeah. In his interview. It's like he read uh, <clears throat> Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't know if he yeah. did, because that's a very like <laughs> ab- I had to read that for like a theology class in college, because it's a very kind of not normal book that pe- like it's a. Well, I don't think he did. It is he written like about a how PhD. He didn't, he didn't read any theology stuff. Only yeah, yeah, yeah. He read all of Sam Harris. Though. Yeah, that's what yeah. Say. He loves Sam, but I mean, Sam Harris talks about this type of thing. It's like. You, if you don't know who Sam Harris is, he's kind of like a, a really well-known and well-articulated kind of philosopher of our current age. Um, and if you like reading philosophy and making your brain hurt, go read him. I enjoyed him. Um, but it's like, it's, I mean, that's true. Like, if you walked into, like, my church service, for example, you'd be like, what the heck is going on? Mm-hmm. And you won't understand it until faith opens your eyes to see, right? Jesus says, let those who have ears, let them hear. And it's like, the rest of you, you're not going to hear because God has to open your ears for you to hear it. And that might sound like it's exclusionary. And it's like, well, even in, well, yeah, kind in of. Matthew, yes he no. quotes, uh, I think it's Isaiah, and I pray it all the time. Like, And he says, oh, that their eyes would be open, yeah. that their hearts would be open, their ears yeah. would be open, so that they might see, hear, and know yeah. me, and repent, right, and, and be healed. Right. Like, I mean, when we look at Jesus, he doesn't say like, well, I hope they raise their hands at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and then I'll know that they really right, right, are right. believers. You know, it's yeah. like they, and I mean, we do that, you know, at the end of a service to like, hopefully help someone take that. Right, leap. right. That's not like, a, but, this is the end of your journey. This is like, now we know who you are, so we can target, yeah, like, so this sounds awful, target you, but like, yeah. go after you to get you connected. Exactly. But I mean, it's it's crazy that you know, I've actually been thinking about this a lot lately, the past two or three years is like the way that we quote unquote do church or do um, evangelism. Yeah. Like the way that I've known it forever, I think was wrong. Like that I am not, I would say probably not complete, not complete. Yeah. Yeah. Not wrong, but not complete in the sense that I wasn't giving enough. uh, And this sounds terrible, but I wasn't giving enough credit to the fact that God is the one, the Holy Spirit is the yeah. one who opens the door and who, you know, who uh, prompts someone into relationship yep. that I'm just simply a vessel yeah. and that I just have to be faithful 
and plant a seed. And guess what? I might not even plant that seed. Like that seed might fall on freaking rocky ground and yeah. never be planted. But I have to be faithful in what I do. And that is my calling um, to be evangelistic. It's not to win souls or to save souls for Christ because I actually can't do any of that. Right. But it is simply to present the gospel. You said something about like, you know, we have an idea that we got to sell the gospel or whatever. Like presenting the gospel, yeah. I think, is the is the correct way to look at this is say, I'm going to present this to yep. you. I'm going to tell you all of the sides yeah. that there are times when life is so hard, but guess what? It's hard anyways. <laughs> like it's going yeah, to be, be hard regardless. anyways. <laughs> and you can either have a reward or you can have nothing. And, and in fact, you can have separation from God forever. Right. Like, and so we present those options and getting all the way back to like worship and the foundation of, of, of your original question of like, how important is it for biblical knowledge and self-sacrifice and servant leadership to actually uh, inform our worship? If we have an understanding of what life is supposed to actually look like with Christ, that it's not going to be all rainbows and butterflies, but man, he is still faithful. Yeah. And that there at one day, like there's a line in um, in There is a King that I freaking ball over every time. And it's the last co- or last verse. And it says, um, we'll be at home and the war yeah, will be, we'll be over. over. And soon we will see Jesus face to face. And like that, man, even saying it now, like it does stir up emotion yeah. in me, but it's a spiritual emotion that's like, it's a man, fervor. One day, yeah. It's a fervor for One God. day, this is over. One day, the war is gone and I see Jesus and all of this will make sense and all of it yeah. is okay. And even... Going back to the the interview, uh, one of the things that they get to at the later end of the interview, probably about an hour in, is they start to talk about suffering and how like suffering for a purpose or suffering is for a purpose. Yeah. That it's not just you're going to suffer and that's all it is. But uh, uh, Bishop Barron was talking about Shyla and he was saying, or Shyla Buff, and he was saying that you have experienced some of these some of these greater uh, problems in your life really to draw you to this moment, yeah. really to draw you to the moment where where you can uh, see God. And, yep. and even he, uh, Shai even actually says this. Um, he says that the woman that uh, accused him of all the things that, that he, he said that he didn't do, um, he said, I used to look at her and resent her and hate her and like be so mad at her. And he said, but now I look at her and I think, man, you saved my life. Cause I was going down, like I was going down a path that I would have, I was going to lose myself. I yeah. was losing myself, but now all of this, where I lost my, basically lost my career, lost my friends. He said, my mom wouldn't even talk to me yeah. for years. And it was because this girl accused me, but now I realize that she saved my life because if I wasn't on that trajectory right. um, and she didn't do that and everything didn't fall apart, I wouldn't even have the opportunity to play this priest um, and therefore meet all of these people who believe in Jesus and who are pointing me in the right direction. And so when we have the right knowledge, when we understand servant leadership, when we understand self-sacrifice, it actually enriches our musical worship that much more to even make it more emotional, which is fine because I believe that is what Jesus is talking about in the spirit and truth is that it's true to our hearts and it's true to our minds because we know and we've experienced it. And now that worship is that much more more yeah. uh, profound. Um, there's one piece. I don't want to miss the significance of uh, Shia 
reading Sam Harris. Um, Shia LaBeouf has like a kind of genius about him um, that is probably largely or in yeah, part you wouldn't why expect. <laughs> in part why mm-hmm. he's been successful as yeah. successful as he's been. Um, Do you remember him on Even Stevens? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Great time. Throwback. Most of you weren't even alive. If you're Freaking a holes. college student, you wouldn't even know what this is. Okay, anyway, so, continue. So he's he has a tenacity with which he pursues the things that he pursues, but he wasn't finding Christ because he was pointing in the wrong direction. So mm-hmm. it wasn't a matter of faculty it wasn't a matter of capacity yeah like it was always there he was throwing his all just in the wrong direction and so that actually that's that's really important because the story that kendall just told about the prevenient grace that was over his life and these things that were being sort of orchestrated yep. and happening to him happening to him that which led to this turn right um that's a god thing and yeah. we can't as evangelists um as seeker sensitive churches etc we can't assume responsibility for that turn that people have well and i mentioned this one so uh we had a a leadership retreat right before the semester started and i I talked about this where i was like you know god's been the scriptures talk about was it ephesians i think it's ephesians um that i read uh where he talks about like god planned out your life from before the beginnings and foundations of the world right um and I, i talked about how you know god has been up in his workshop of salvation to plan out how you would come to meet him, right? And Satan tries to get in the way. I think Shia LaBeouf's story is probably mm-hmm. a good one. It's like Satan tried to get in the way by throwing all of these horrific things. I don't know his whole life story in all honesty, but um, I know he kind of went off the deep end for a bit, But and that was Satan trying to get a hold of him to go down the wrong path. And it's like God even used that to actually, even though Satan was trying to get, the evil one was trying to get a hold of him to go down the wrong path, God actually used that to be the very opportunity to get him the right path. And he spent an entire eternity planning out the way in which he would come to know Jesus, right? Um, and he does that for each and every single one of us. And it's like, so if you think like you or a church or anybody had like a lot to do with how you came to know Jesus, they might have, but only because God had already planned that out right. a long time ago. And it makes me wonder how we would change the way that we do church if we kept ourselves within that understanding. If we, yeah. if we, removed that burden of responsibility off of ourselves. If we actually thought on a weekend, okay, well, you know, maybe 30% of the people who come in here are not going to know Jesus (laughs) at the end of this weekend, but so what? It's not their time. So the, and this is what I like to try to remind my church because, you know, when you've got a small church, one of the things that you run into is like people can get very um, down on themselves because they're not a big church, because they don't have lots of money, because we've got an old kind of dingy smelling church that you know what I'm talking about mm-hmm. um and, and you know on a, on a Sunday you could be missing half your people because they're older and bad health and you know and it's like that can be very discouraging right and one of the things that I have to remind myself too as the pastor leading this is like our job the the job of the church is to just show up and be together the body of Christ so that someone who might come through these doors might have a moment to see what the what Jesus looks like. That's it, right? Um, and for people who already know Jesus, to see more what Jesus looks like, right? And that's it. It's like, we're not trying to do something more. It's like, wh- all I'm trying to do is get Jesus in front of you and I'll let him take care of the rest, right? And that's, that's, that's our goal at United. Yeah. We're just trying to get Jesus in front of you and let you take care of the rest. So if you show up to United and you're like, I don't understand what's going on, 
you sing these weird songs, you're talking about things I don't agree with or don't understand. And it's like, that is okay. All we're trying to do is get Jesus in front of you. And we have the belief that he will take care of the rest in his time, in his plan that he has been working on for <clears throat> so long, right? And it's like, that's out of our control. All we're trying to do is being faithful to present, allowing Jesus to be there in the body of Christ. Yeah, and as a minister, that's so freeing. Yeah. Like as a pastor, that's so freeing, like at the end of the day, that it's not on me, because most of my, so I've been in ministry for 16 years, um, at least like full, probably full time. Wait, Kendall, how old are you? <laughs> 35. <laughs> <laughs> I started young, okay? <laughs> so no, I, I get that. <laughs> I've been in, I've been in full-time ministry actually. I was just more making fun of the fact that you're 35. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I've been in full-time ministry since I was 20. Um, and uh, I think that for probably 10 years, maybe even 13 years of that, it was like the pressure's on. Like you better preach good and you better sing good and you better not have a mistake because right. if you do, then you're going to build a wall to people uh, coming to know Jesus. Yeah. Um, and for the record, it's good to like want to yes, do your best. I was about to but... say, I still <laughs> operate in excellence yeah. and anybody who has ever worked with me or been close to me knows like I do not just fly by the seat of my pants and like, ah, whatever happens, happens. Right, and right, I'm just right. not going to prepare and who cares? Like, I do not do that and I refuse to do that and I can't stand when people do. Uh, that might be a pride thing because I'm like, God still works and it's really frustrating. But like, <laughs> <laughs> we should offer our best though. That is but pretty we clear. Should, but we should offer yeah. our best because of worship again. Um, but like, it takes the pressure off of me. Like, the yeah. message I'm going to preach, um, we're recording this on Tuesday. The message I'm going to preach tonight, like, it's super practical and there's not a ton of gospel message in it. I'm going to yeah. end with the gospel message because that's what I always do. But at the end of the day, it's like, well, I hope somebody comes to know Jesus through this or like understands yeah. that, you know, uh, who God is and like understands his character. Last week, you know, uh, people were like asking, how did you think it went? Or uh, how do you think this is going to go? Because it's going to be kind of weird. Or like, yeah. I'm like, man, I don't know. I really have no clue. And I could not even tell you today, right in this moment, how I really felt like it went. I'm like, yeah. wow, we pulled off the music pretty well. I felt like our words were really good. Yeah. Like we had a good time. We had tacos, like people were there. It was cool in that sense, but it's like on a spiritual level, I don't know, I care, but I'm not responsible for right. it ultimately. And I the can't the possibly day. know, right? Like I can't see the hearts of others. So why, why try to assume I need to put weight on myself to see the hearts yeah. of others? It's yeah. Like, I need to know how many people came to know Jesus. It's like, why do we do that? Churches are notorious for that. It's like, yeah. we, we have to have metrics and it's like, I understand why we need metrics, but it's like, you you can't know that. You can't, you can't, uh, that can't be the end all be all. Yeah. Like yeah. I would love to know like how many people got saved. Like somebody got saved last week and I'm glad that we know that one person got saved last yeah. week. However, uh, like if I didn't know that, would it have ruined the whole night for me? Nope. No, it would not have ruined it, but it kind of makes it sweeter. Like, okay, thank God. Like what yeah. we're doing is doing something. And I think that God, allows us to know those things every once yeah, in a while. because they're a blessing. Because they're a blessing to to they're people who are ministering, who are serving. You know, yeah, they're they're encouraging. And so like, I'm definitely coming around on the idea that, okay, I am not the end all be all. It's not all on me. God is sovereign over every single thing. Now we're not gonna get into the predestination conversation right now, Michael, because that'll be another five hours. And Indeed. we still won't even land on it. I've got a meeting um, at time. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but like, I, when I do that, I can 
I can release the pressure for myself. Yeah. And then if we put this on like a more um, relevant playing ground for like for people who are listening, who are not ministers, who are not pastors, yeah. if you can determine or uh, resolve that God is sovereign over your story and over what is going on, yeah. then it really allows for you to put into perspective your current circumstances right. a lot better. Yeah. It doesn't mean sit on your butt and don't do anything and then God's gonna save right. me anyways, but what it does mean is that, hey, at least I can put this into perspective and maybe the things I'm going through right now are actually meant to draw me closer to God right. and, to, and they're a part of my story for a reason so that I can help someone else, like 1 Corinthians says, or, um, like not or sorry or yeah actually or it's a blessing like ultimately it's a blessing for me to see the goodness of god right. at the end of the day right? right and so it's like it relieves the pressure off us like as pastors but it, it should also relieve pressure off the average kind of person too because it's like you might be looking at yourself and like i am not where i should be and that is a good thing to recognize it's like maybe i should be further along in my christian walk that is a good thing to recognize but it takes the pressure off because it also means that like, even if you feel like you're not where you should be, like God's still in control of it, right? And you should strive forward, but that doesn't mean that everything will work out exactly like, you know, one step forward will actually equal one step forward. One step forward in your mind might only be like half a step forward in your actual life kind of maturing as a Christian. And it's like, that's okay, right? Um, things don't always work out as planned according to our plans. It's like, if I read the word every day and I pray every day, I'm going to just f grow exponentially in my walk with Jesus. And it's like, if you read the word every day, if you pray every day, yeah, you will grow. But the rate at which that happens might not be what you anticipate. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Like the pressure is off on that. Like ultimately God's got you. Like he's got you and he, he wants you to, know some truths about him and sometimes the the struggle in that is actually the very truth that he wants you to know right because god has struggled too right like the cross was a great struggle uh, i'm sure i've never been crucified but i can't imagine it's fun um it's like that's a difficult thing and to know god is to know that part of him too and it's like okay so pressure's off on youtube that doesn't mean like you said you can just do whatever you want but man i'm just so looking forward to the day when I screwed everything up in my life, but I did my best to just allow Jesus to be in front of people and I get to the end of everything and God just says, yeah, Caleb, you suck, but you know what? <laughs> well done, good and faithful servant, right? Yeah. It's like, you did most of the things I wanted you to do wrong, but <laughs> you still get to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, because you had faith to believe that that I was enough, not that you were enough, that I was enough, and that's why you are a faithful servant. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good place to wrap this up. I just wanna leave you with this one tool. Um, you might be wondering, because um, there is a, a lot of uh, peace to be had in striving in the right direction, um, and I think that you can have some solace in whether or not you've experienced that turn that we discussed Shia talking about in his own life. and really the the and he cites this as the major difference for himself and so you can take an inventory of yourself and find out whether or not this is you also and this is just a tool that you can use um, you ask yourself whether or not the reason why you're reading all that you're reading you're pursuing all that you're pursuing you're developing yourself you're going to the gym whatever you're doing you're practicing your craft you're going to work all that is to bolster your own ego 
or whether it is to find the truth for the truth's own sake to to discern and discover what is true just because of just because there is value in knowing what is true and if you are in the latter camp and you're just trying to figure things out you're just trying to figure out what's true you are on the right path as far as i can tell and i think that's a really good thing to know yeah all right uh well that's a that's a good place to shut it down. So, <laughs> uh, shut it down. <laughs> you end the podcast like you end your meetings. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> uh, all in favor of adjourning this meeting, say aye. Aye. Anyone want to put a motion forward? <laughs> right, yeah. Bye, everybody. See you next week. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Uloft podcast. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to it. Also, come out and join us for a unite every Tuesday at seven twenty-seven p.m. This is a time of music, friends, and important teaching. You don't want to miss it. You can learn more about Unites, as well as everything else we do, by visiting unitediup.com. Thank you all for hanging out with us, and we will see you in the next episode.